Well, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 20, if we could. John chapter 20, we're on the home stretch here. We're going to be in verses 19 through 20. Uh, yeah, 19 through 20. <laughs> too much here, too awesome. It says in, in verse 19 and 20, verses 19 20, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Uh, John chapter 20 is, is really the finale of the gospel of John. What happens is he ends chapter 20, and that's kind of the highlight. And then chapter 21, it just kind of goes back. He goes back again and just kind of says, hey, well, what happened to Peter? And, and what about some other things? And he, and he kind of tags everything on the end. But right now, John chapter 20 is, is really, we're just hitting to the end of John. And the pinnacle of why John wrote his gospel by now is so that you would what? believe right verses 30 and 31 if you cheat and go ahead there it says now jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that jesus christ the son of god is uh, is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have eternal life in his name and so over the past 20 chapters uh, John has been building a case for you to believe, and also why he believed personally, why the disciples believed personally. And so, if we remember back in John chapter 2, he began after, well, John chapter 1, he's God, basically, God in the flesh, the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. But as you get to John chapter 2, we have the turning of the water into, into wine. And so you start these seven signs that John gives in the book of John. He turns water into wine in chapter 4, the healing of an official's son in Capernaum. In chapter 5, the healing of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. Um, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. Walking on the water also in chapter 6. Healing a blind man in Jerusalem in chapter 9. Raising uh, Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. And so Jesus is, uh, John is systematically giving us reasons why we should believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ, doing things that no one has ever done before, um, except for under the power of God in the Old Testament. But he was fulfilling prophecy, and that was John's point. And then chapters 12 through 19, John takes us right to the final week of Jesus' death. And he takes us into the upper room for several of those chapters, right into the upper room where Jesus is telling his disciples all that's just about to happen. He says, listen, I'm, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over. By the way, Judas, who's at this table, is going to go betray me. This is how it's all going to go down. I will be executed. I'm actually going to be crucified. He tells them how he's going to die, not by stoning, not by beheading, not by any other way. He is going to be crucified. He tells them this. He points it out before it happens. And he tells them that after I die, three days later, I will rise from the grave. And then he goes on to tell them of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into next week. But the Holy Spirit will be with them, the Father, the Son. The Holy Spirit will make their house in the believer's heart. He will never leave them. Different from the Old Testament, it seems. And so... In the parting command, by the way, he says, of love one another, right? 
And so then in chapters 18, 19, we see the prop, these prophecies actually play out as Jesus is then arrested. He is crucified right before John. John is watching it and describing to us in graphic detail of what's happening. First-hand account of all of this from the trial to the execution to what Jesus is saying on the cross. All according to what God has foreordained by the prophets. And here in John chapter 20, John, who is that eyewitness of these things, takes us to the resurrection. So not only was he with Jesus during this all this time, he, he saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the pinnacle, again, is that through his testimony, through the testimony of the others who saw him alive, that you too would believe, that we don't believe in a fairy tale church. We believe in a solid account of a man who came from God, did the things that he did, died the way that was foretold, and then rose again and appeared and has ascended. And he offers eternal life to all who believe. And now John in chapter 20 is bringing us to the greatest of all the signs that he handpicked for everybody to look at, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this greatest sign was performed in order that the lost world all those who do not believe might see this, might believe and come to faith in Jesus and receive eternal life from the Son of God. And so the resurrection of the Son of God is the sign given to the world. It is the sign given to the world by God to everyone here today. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And how many want to seek after signs? And Jesus said, I'm not going to give anyone a sign except for what? The sign of Jonah. And the picture of Jonah is that he was three days, three nights in the belly of whale, and then he was spit up on shore. And the idea is that Jesus would die and that he would rise again. This is the sign. This is the greatest. This is the pinnacle of our faith. Who conquers death? No one conquers death. Because we are all under the judgment of God and under uh, his pun the punishment of sin and death and the judgment. And Jesus Christ conquered it. He rose from the grave and offers that same victory to all who repent and believe. And that's his point. And so many people are out there wondering why, why God doesn't reveal himself. Why doesn't he show himself? Um, obviously not looking at general revelation, the creation around us and how it's ordered. Um, these things speak of his character and who he is, but they wonder, you know, why isn't God doing that? Well, why hasn't he revealed himself? Well, he has. He has revealed himself. He sent his own son in our likeness so we could understand him. He did what no man could do. He died for the sins of the world and he rose from the grave to give forgiveness and eternal life to all who would believe. Jesus Christ happened. And he's still happening. And John takes us in chapter 20 to the empty tomb and the risen Lord Jesus. And his point in chapter 20, surprisingly, is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. The disciples didn't believe. And that's what John is pointing out here in John chapter 20. They didn't believe. They had to be convinced they had to be convinced of the resurrection and that's his point going from that they denied uh, what Jesus had already told them to they denied what the women said to 
when he appeared, they didn't believe him. To Thomas doubting. That's his whole point, is that they didn't believe. And they actually had to be convinced. And so last week, we saw Mary Magdalene, the first to see the empty grave. And she goes and tells Peter and John, thinking something that happened to Jesus. Hey, they, what have they, have they done with our Lord? And she was scared, and so she went and told Peter and John. And so Peter and John come running to the grave, and we know that John outran Peter and all these uh, points that John makes there. And when they got there, they saw evidence, not of a robbery, not of the Romans taking away a body that had been wrapped meticulously with uh, grave clothes and cloths and all these types of things. But the evidence was that the grave clothes were undisturbed. They were there on the, on the slab with all those spices. Remember, 60 pounds of spices, 70 pounds of spices. And then beyond that, you had the, the face covering. Over here, you had the face covering. <laughs> you had the face covering that was wrapped and folded and put in its place. This was not a grave robbery or the Romans picking him up in the middle of the night of moving him. This was something else. It was a resurrection. And here, it is here in John chapter 20 in verse 8 that John says he believed. Peter went away marveling. They both went away marveling, but it is that he actually believed. And so this is John was convinced that Jesus was actually alive here. And John tells us in verse 9, if you're looking at your scriptures, you should have your Bibles out, that he and Peter had not believed up to that point. He tells them why they hadn't believed up to that point, why they were all sad, why they were all sorrowful, why they were all mourning. Verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. And this is John's main thrust for us as we are reading not only the Gospel of John, but also the finale of John, that we too would understand what was written, what actually happened, and that we would actually believe. John had to be convinced. He didn't believe up to that point. He didn't understand. John gives us the first obstacle to why we don't believe, why he didn't believe. If you're taking notes, verses 8 and 9, they tell us, that it was because they didn't understand the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. And this is an obstacle to many believers, uh, many to, who would believe in Jesus. Christ is that they lack an understanding of what God says. They don't understand what God says regarding Jesus Christ, about why he came, why he left. And part of that's our fault. Because we don't communicate it. Because we're ashamed in some ways. We're more fearful of what they think of us than what God has commanded us to do. And the Lord teaches us to repent and to go forward and to proclaim in the various way that God's gifted you to proclaim that Jesus is alive. But even in proclaiming that, when people hear things, and there's many churched people who, who, who know the stories of Scripture, they've read the Bible, but they don't understand the meaning of what is written. How many of you struggle with that when you're reading your Bible? I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm here, why we, we get together, is that we want to gain understanding as the Holy Spirit gifts various people in the church and, and us to give us illumination to what God is saying about Jesus Christ. And so one of the obstacles not believing is, is not 
understanding what the scriptures mean. It doesn't mean you don't know the story of the boat and you got the flannel graph stuff going on. You don't understand the significance of why Jonah, the story of Jonah was written. We don't understand these things. And the Lord in his grace, he leads us to faith. He's the one who teaches us. For John and Peter, it wasn't really a lack of information, church. It was a lack of understanding to that point. And for for many of us, it's the same. For many who are listening, it's the same. They're familiar with the Bible. They're familiar with Christianity, maybe Christian culture. They're familiar with the stories, Old Testament writings. But you don't have an understanding, an understanding of what all that means. And the same is with so many churched people today. We, we know the stories, but we don't understand the fulfillment. And we know, as we've been going through the book of John, that it wasn't as if Jesus didn't tell them what was going to happen. It's not as if they hadn't been to Sunday school, so to speak. It's not as if, if it hadn't been communicated over and over and over. There was a spiritual block. There was, an, there was something that kept them from truly understanding what was written. How many of you experienced that with family members? How many of you experienced it with your own heart? There is a block between what God says and them connecting it in their heart and, it, and them believing upon it. Anybody know that? Experience that? So there's the communicating of the information, but then there's also the belief, the understanding when it clicks. Well, how does that happen? Well, God has to do something. God has to sovereignly step in and give people understanding. Does he not? Who can understand the mind of God? Only the spirit of God. And those who have a spirit understand his mind. That's why we're born again, because God did something. And he intervenes. You know, if, if they truly did believe, think about it. If they really believed the scriptures, if they believed what Jesus said was just about to happen for all those five chapters in John, you know, 12 through 17, or whatever it is, they wouldn't be mourning his death. And Jesus even says something that is effect. He says, you know, don't be sorrowful. In the upper room, when he tells them he's going to go away, he says, it's to your advantage I go away. But they wouldn't understand. They didn't have understanding. You see, they were sorrowful. And I think a lot of us in our circumstances today, we're sorrowful, we're perplexed, we're frustrated with what's going on, but we don't understand what God is doing or what he said, or maybe we've read it, but we don't believe it. Read the end of the book. We're with him. We win. He wins. Hopefully. Amen, right? And we just need to align ourselves with him today. Repent and believe. But they would have believed. They would have believed Mary Magdalene when she came and said, hey, listen. You see, after she went and got John and they came back to the tomb, they left. And then she came back to the tomb morning and she encountered Jesus Christ. She spoke to her. She went back to the group. Peter wasn't there. John was in there, presumed. They come, they come back later. But she tells the remaining disciples in there, hey, Jesus is alive. You know what they did? Yeah, whatever. They were totally overwhelmed with sorrow. That's what happened. They would have believed the other women who encountered the angels and came back and told them as well. They would have believed, but they didn't. They brushed their testimonies off as wives' tales 
because they did not understand what the law and the prophets had proclaimed clearly. They didn't understand what Jesus had already told them, and there was no way for someone to get that understanding unless God gets involved. And guess what? God's in that business. He is in the business of turning on the light in people's hearts, of giving them understanding, of revealing God to man. And that is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that you would know God and have eternal life. And he desires to draw sinful men to him. It's interesting that in Luke's account of the resurrection, Jesus does just that. After Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, Luke tells us that Jesus appeared to two disciples. So it's resurrection morning. He appears to Mary Magdalene. And then, the, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden, it, it sh- Luke tells us that it shifts over to Jesus on the road with some guys. He appears to them. They're walking along the road to Emmaus. These two disciples have left Jerusalem. They're kind of heading back to their village or whatever it is. And he appears to them and he goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they were talking about everything that's happening. He goes, where have you been? These guys are, where have you been? Don't you know what just happened? And they started explaining how Jesus came. We thought he would be the Christ and all these things, but he got crucified. He's dead. And then now these women have said some things and we don't know what's going on. You know, the grave's empty. The disciples are talking about all this. And all of a sudden in Luke 24, 25, Jesus cuts them off. And he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, I hope it is yours too. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I want to be at that Bible study where Jesus Christ sits down and goes, this is what it all means. And he opened it up to these two disciples. I think one was Clopas. And they go rushing back to all the other disciples. They cruise it. They're like seven miles away. So they just, they just hustle back, whatever they're doing. It was fast. They go to the other disciples who are there. And so the Lord, it was the Lord who had to open up their understanding He's the one who opened up their understanding to everything so that they would believe. Think about that for yourself. Think about that for those of you at home who are watching or in your cars. And and not only for you, but for the loved ones that you have that trust the Lord to open up people's understanding. Begin to pray this way. Begin to pray for them. God, open up their understanding to Jesus Christ. Trust him. Listen, God is the initiator in all of this. He had to hunt down the disciples and bring them to faith and to bring them believe. Amen? And he'll do the same thing with Thomas here. And that's John's point. After the resurrection, that evening, he gathers with everybody where Luke 24 tells us that Jesus appeared to them and he says to them, uh, this is the night of the resurrection, after he meets with the guys Uh, on the road. Verse 40 says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day from uh, from the dead rise, right? And that repentance for for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of this. Resurrection evening, 
Artie's talked to the guys of Emmaus, comes back, everybody's talking and saying, hey, we, we think Jesus might be, there's something going on here. He appears to them and says, and he opens up their minds to the understanding of what, what had all been said. And they get it. And he says, you're witnesses of this. You are my hand-picked witnesses. The apostles are the hand-picked witnesses. And so one of the obstacles they had to overcome for the disciples to believe was their lack of understanding of scriptures concerning Jesus. And this is what Jesus does. He opens up their minds. He sovereignly touches them. This is why Paul prays for the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 16, saying, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He, Paul is praying for the church. He's saying, Man, I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of revelation and wisdom. And there's so many weird interpretations about that. It's simply that God would open up your hardened human heart to what God truly says about himself through his word. We pray that he'd open you up to what God says, that you'd see it. He says, having had the eyes of your heart opened, basically. You've already been saved, and so this is a sanctification word, but still, just as God brought us to Christ by opening us up to what God says, he will also continue to reveal himself. And this is Paul's prayer. So if you're stuck in your walk, ask that the Lord would continue to open up the scriptures to you, not for the scripture's sake, but that you would know him. And he goes on and he says uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of knowledge in him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious grace, uh, glorious inheritance in the saints? And he goes on, right? But that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that he would do this. And that's John's point. The Lord was faithful to lead them to that understanding of the truth. And as John chapter 20 progresses, Peter and John go home. They marvel at the empty tomb, right? They're marveling at the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene returns to the tomb, encounters the angels and Jesus. Then she goes back to where the remainder of the disciples were gathered, presumably without Peter and John. So she's back there now, and she tells them what, what she saw the Lord, that they saw the Lord. They don't believe her. The other women have encountered the angels by this time. They come back. They tell those, that group that they saw the angels, and this is what they said to tell them. They don't believe. They think it's wives' tales, and so... We know that the disciples are mourning the death of Jesus. They are in disbelief of anything. But the Lord appeared to Peter by this time. Luke 24 tells us. Luke tells us that then Jesus meets with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We talked about that. And so as the day progresses, all the 11 disciples are back in that room, back in that house, and are now gathered together. All these reports are coming in, and their, their faith is starting to stir. And it says in Luke that they, they believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, probably from Peter's account which isn't in there, but it says that happened. And so picking up in verse 19, I know, now the sermon begins. Don't worry. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace with you. And what John doesn't tell you 
is that in Luke chapter 24 is that they were totally paralyzed with fear at this point. Wouldn't you be? You're in a room, the doors are locked, you're fearing for the Jews, and all of a sudden, exhibit A just appears in your midst and says, I come in peace, right? Peace be with you. And they see them, and Luke tells us they think they're seeing a ghost. This has happened before, so they're very mystical kind of minded men. On the boat, they thought Jesus was a ghost walking on the water, and here again, they think he's a ghost, a spirit, that is. And Luke tells us that Jesus immediately says to them, starting in Luke 24, 38, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for does a spirit have not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, uh, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, "Have you anything here to eat?" And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And so, even though they are believing the reports now of Jesus being raised from the dead, he actually appears uh, with them, and they still doubt when they see him. They still doubt. They saw Jesus, and they're still doubting. And this is the gospel writer's account, all of them. They are, in un, they are unbelievers, although they, they want to believe. God has to bring them. They're very weak. Their hearts were filled with doubt, Jesus says. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? And then, so Jesus knows that they're scared, they're doubting, and what does he have to do with them? He says, look. And he shows them his nail-pierced hands. He shows them. He exposes his side to them where they had shoved the spear up. And he says, look, it's me. So Jesus knows and he leads them in faith. And here in Luke 20, 20, John tells us, and when they had seen this, so back, John gives the same account. Um, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his hands, his nail-pierced side, but they were still doubting, and so they were kind of trembling with joy, going, is this really real? And Luke tells us that he had to eat something to help them a little bit more. He's like, give me some fish and some honey, and so he eats. He says, it's me. You see, John's point is the very apostles who preached that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead had to be convinced of it. They didn't believe. They didn't understand the scriptures at first. The Lord had to convince them. They didn't believe the women. They didn't believe it even when the Lord appeared face to face. The Lord was faithful to bring them to faith. The Lord was faithful. So, church, as we look at this, we just want to stop right there for right now. But as we look at all this, think about this. As you are sharing the gospel with people, as you are praying for those you love, trust in the Lord to open up people's understanding. To not just, yes, you give them information, you give them the gospel, but it is ultimately God who has to wake up the heart of a human being just as he has woken up your heart. Trust him. And when that happens, a faith is born that cannot be shaken. 
And no matter what trials come in this life, no matter what came upon those apostles as you looked at them and they faced death and they faced all the horrific things that they faced. And you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs, F-O-X-E, apostrophe S, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you can read about how they died over this. The reason why they died is because they were convinced and not a, a superficial convincing or trying to convince people to do something. They had some political agenda. They laid down their lives for this. And their testimony is true. I don't have to convince people of Jesus Christ. That's God's deal. I'd be faithful to live what he did in light of who I now know and believe. As we're going to talk about Thomas next week. Those people, those disciples saw Jesus, those witnesses, the 500 saw him. Thomas comes to faith. He says, my Lord, my God, because Thomas wasn't there that first night. Jesus comes and appears a week later on another Sunday night. And Thomas believes then, but he says, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Who's that? That's us. That's the church. Amen? Who do not see and believe. We believe the sign of Jonah. We believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. We believe their account, and it's not a pretend account. It's a meticulous account. Real men hasn't been rewritten, all this weird stuff that gets taught by people who are ignorant. True, verified gospel reality. Jesus came, he lived, he died again, and he offers eternal life to those who would repent and believe. And by the way, just as he came the first time and rose again, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And we await the day when he sets all things straight. Amen? And that's where our hope is for now. And that's another message. Not in the system, not in political restitution, not in all this type of stuff that everybody's crying for right now, but upon his righteous rule on that day. And we wait patiently for him. And we call out to him and let him live through us in love right now. So church, just want to encourage you in the word. Spend time with the Lord this week. Search the scriptures. If you have doubts, bring them to Jesus. If you have people who are doubting God and they're all over the place in the church, outside of the church, pray for them like Paul did in Ephesians chapter one. Trust the Lord, entrust them to the Lord and watch God do what he will. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you for your word, which pierces the darkness. We thank you for your son who came and pierced that darkness, who shone your great and marvelous light to a dark world, who bled out and died and rose again, that we would be forgiven and would have life. And Father, we just pray that that life would come uh, alive in us and through us, and that you'd make us bold as lions in this generation, God, that we would not be ashamed of you and your words, uh, so that on that day uh, you will not be ashamed of us. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you for this day, and we give you all the glory and honor. May many come to know you in the name of Jesus. Amen.